I, I'm living the life I want to be living. And if that's what I want to be doing, I have to look at the actions that support that best. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In with Rick Jordan. I'm your host, Rick Jordan, and I'm excited to talk to my guest today because this dude just got done with a TEDx talk about the vulnerability of men. He's also an award-winning thought leader and actor, actor, author. Oh my God, I can't talk today, but that's okay. Distinguished Toastmaster and keynote speaker, former partner and CEO of a multi-million dollar retail company. I feel like this can just go on and on and on, but his models, he models his work off of faith, family, fitness, finances, and fun. Di Emanuel, how are you doing, my man? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, Rick. Good to be here. I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity. Plus, I've had a, an opportunity to, to listen in on some shows. And uh, Cool, man. Man, I, I just know we're going to have a great conversation. This is like fantastic. That's what this is supposed to be. And, you know, I think we're going to get a lot of interesting listeners on this one just because we're going to talk a lot about the vulnerability of men. You know, we're going to get into some business stuff too, of course, here and there. But, you know, it's probably, we, we just had the volume turned up a lot just by even saying that phrase, right? Because men are thinking, it's like, oh, how's he going to knock me down? And women are thinking, okay, I'm going to take notes to shove this in the face of my man. <laughs> right? well, that's typically the case, right? And I'm sure you've seen that around, but you talk about this a lot. And you just had a TEDx talk around this too, right? Yeah. yeah. The title of the talk was, uh, Why Vulnerability is a Human Thing you know, versus the man woman side of things. Of course, I'm speaking from a, a man's perspective. For, uh, and, uh, but, you know, vulnerability is just an interesting word. And a lot of the connotations that are attached to that word, uh, well, it shows up. Uh, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I know for myself, especially growing up, the word vulnerability often meant weakness. You know, it often meant, uh-oh, Watch out! You're going to get taken advantage of if you talk if you're honest and transparent with actually how you're feeling and try to communicate that. So, so it, it felt really good to get out there on a stage and well to to practice what I like to talk about, but really just try to open up a conversation for other people to have. That's that was really the point of it, you know. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, I think there's a lot of ambiguity around the word vulnerability too, you know, because a, a lot would see it as being a weakness. I'm talking strictly from the male perspective here, and then you know, I being a an ordained pastor, I would see this a lot, you know, especially in uh, couples to where it's like, I just want you to be more vulnerable coming from the female side, you know, and the guy's like, well, what does that even mean? You know, does that mean I'm supposed to cry? You know, do you want me to cry? You know, and then, then they'd go to like the mechanics of it, you know, and uh, what does that mean? And almost like looking for that linear checklist. Okay. This is how I be vulnerable <laughs> with, with, with my partner, with my spouse. And it's like, no, that's, that's not what it is. You know, vulnerability you were just talking about was just being able to really express your emotions, you know, and communicate those to somebody else and actually almost let somebody in and say that, like, at this point, I'm feeling not quite myself and here's why, you know, and I, I don't know if that's the direction you took, but that ambiguity around the word vulnerability, it does not mean weak. And I'm sure that that's what you hit on a lot too. Yeah, well, you know, it is, you know, language is so important, right? Like, I mean, you know this better than most, just based on the fact that you use language to communicate ideas and 
really to, to, to help people see different perspectives, right? I mean, I think that's what we're all looking for is, is to, well, hopefully most of us still feel that desire and it's to want to grow, want to, to progress in life. But more importantly, through that progression, that just living, we often will find ourselves shifting our belief systems, right? Based on what we're experiencing, what's coming up for us. And, and I know for myself, gosh, vulnerability. I mean, I even think back to just one of my first real significant male relationships, you know, like my father and I, right? And, and I think most men, you know, that's one of their first significant relationships with another man. And of course, it, it's more of that role model, mentor, superhero <laughs> perspective we often have. I mean, as a dad, I really appreciated that after having my first, my kids born, you know, like, and, and just seeing how they look at me. And uh, it would often bring me back to some of those memories of my dad, but my dad grew up in a day and age and, and you know, he passed a few years ago. And uh, before he passed, you know, I, I remember hearing a lot about his upbringing and, and, you know, his parents, they wouldn't emote, right? There, there was no expression. And, and I remember him telling me he could count on one single hand how many times he remembers his parents saying, I love you. And, and, you know, so, you know, being brought up in that kind of environment, what do we expect? You know, like we, we haven't been taught any other particular life skills, especially on the vulnerability side. Cause I, I do feel that vulnerability is a skill and it takes some practice. It takes some nurturing. It takes, well, a very, it's nice to have a safe environment where we can practice. And I, I guess that's sort of what was that, that tipping point for me was realizing that I didn't have a place to go where I felt I could truly be honest, especially with other men. With women, it's funny. It came sort of naturally. I think it's because I was also raised by my mom. <laughs> and, and so having that kind of relationship, but uh, to have a space where men can come and, and share openly and honestly without the fear of being judged or having what they share used against them, well, that's not a, a place that we find every day, right? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of men's groups that I've seen out there too, you know, but the men's groups, <laughs> I laugh. There's a lot of degrees of separation, <laughs> dude. Right? I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I started it. to visualize in that moment, you know, because it's it's more so like in these men's groups, it's more like a lot of chest pounding than anything else. You know, it's usually not a lot of sharing or expressing true emotion or, or things that you're struggling with. You know, it's a lot of like, hey, guess what I achieved this week, you know? It's like, oh, you didn't achieve that? That's okay. You know what? Step up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, let's inject with some more testosterone here. You know, I'm going to pound my chest and I want you to do it just as hard. Come on. And Rick, I, I you know, and I, I laugh tongue in cheekily because I, 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 I knew that there was men's groups out there. And I remember tiptoeing my way into them many a times wanting to find something, you know, just finding a place where I could really connect with men and have a, a deeper conversation, actually talk about what's real. You know, what's real for, for me, what's real for them and sort of how we navigate it. But, what, you know, I don't feel it's anybody's fault. It's not a fault, right? It's just, this is just the way it is. And now I think there's enough men out there that are looking for more, you know, more in-depth connections, authentic relationships. Uh, but also, you know, when you start looking at masculinity or femininity and you look up the different synonyms that are attached to those words... I mean, with just a, you, you sort of triggered me here when you start talking about the pounding of the chest, right? Because one of the words that comes up is bravado, vigor, machismo. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you right know, on. it's like oh, you know, like me, me Tarzan, Eugene, whatever. <laughs> like it's it's supposed it, it, to be there. Ah, uh, uh, 
but I think we need a more inclusive understanding of masculinity, you know, not to say that just these very atypical masculine emotions or, or, or actions or the way we be uh, define us as a masculine human being. Well, I like to challenge that and say, well, I, I believe, you know, honesty, integrity, vulnerability can also be partial to, to being a masculine man. I, I don't think it's inclusive or exclusive. I think it's, it's, we need a bigger conversation to redefine some of these terms because especially for the younger generations, I, I mean, they're growing up looking at TikTok and looking at Snapchat and, and looking at what everybody else is doing. And, and a lot of those opinions are formed, right? Through, through a lot of this mass media. So, oh man, I, you know, sorry, I, I get going pretty good when we start talking about this No, stuff. I love it, dude. That's, <laughs> that's great. You, know? <laughs> uh, you were talking about relationships here too, you know, and it's every person, because you're talking about masculinity and femininity. You know, and every person, whether you're male or female, you have both of those sides to you, regardless. You know, and there's actually different points to where, you know, it's almost like a, you know, I, I think back to almost like a lioness in uh, in a pride, right? And it's it's the dude, it's the it's the man, the the male lion that's there that's there to protect everything. You know, he's there to pound the chest, but you see him playing with the cubs, just like any of the females that are there too. So that's that soft, that's vulnerability, even in the animal world that I see. But then, you know, it's the women that go out and hunt, you know? So there's a portion there to where they have to shift over almost into that masculine aggression in order to achieve what's there. And I think back to, you know, what, what about all the single moms out there, man? You know, because if you've got kids, you, you kind of have to almost provide that because now you become the protector of your own pride or your own herd that's there too. So it shifts over, but where's the, I feel that like the vulnerability side for men can also affect women in a positive way when something like that happens. If it's a good, I have a daughter and that's where I'm going with this man. Cause I, uh, it's a, it's a father daughter relationship. And if she can see me vulnerable and she can see me connecting, you know, she can also take those sides, but then she can also feel okay. If she's ever, you know, I hope she's not at some point a single mom, you know, cause she's 13 right now. I hope 10 years down the road, she's not a single mom or 20 years, 30 years, whatever. And seeing her be like, it's okay. And it's also okay to pick up the phone and ring my dad if I need to let something out. And she texts me too, man, you know, and just says, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with today. You know, it's awesome to see that, but I'm hoping, you know, as we go into this, because it, we're far past the days, man, <laughs> when it was men would retire to the study after dinner for some brandy and cigars, you know, but some of that still happens, but in different ways these days, you know, and, and there's still that pull. How do we break out of that, man, to show the, the vulnerability that men need? Well, you know what I've noticed? And, and you know, there's a little backstory here and, you know, I don't know how much we want to get into it, but I, you know, sort of hinting at sort of how I was brought up by my dad. And, and then I got into my teen years and I got to a point where I was, the doctor said to my mom, I remember this very vividly. Yeah. Your son, Betty Ann dies morbidly obese. And, and I didn't understand what morbid was, nor did I understand what obese was at the time I was 14. Right. And, uh, I just knew I didn't like who I was and I got there in my own volition. You know, it was about five years of just not doing healthy things for myself, you know, and, and sort of compounded. And, you know, I, I, I withdrew a lot. And so even I think about my social connections at that time, I was very sheltered, you know, and a lot of the things that I did was watch movies, play video games. 
and eat food that was well, high in cal- calories, but very low in nutrition value, right? And, <laughs> and everything that tastes so, good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I, I uh, definitely, uh, as I will often tell my kids and, and anybody who wants to know, I, one of my favorite treats back then was, you know, my mom would, my brother and I, you know, she was a single mom and looking after my brother and I, we, we're both larger dudes. And uh, so, you know, the food bill was probably the biggest expense in the house all the time. So she would go to Costco. And I remember her bringing those trays of muffins home, you know, and, and they're actually mini cakes. You know? <laughs> when I dove into it, those things are like 1500 calories each. And I had no idea, but I mean, having two a day was easy for me back then, you know, like, cause I just didn't understand. I just didn't understand, but also I didn't know what to do. And I didn't really have any strong role models in my life. And, and so I was left to my own volition and uh, got to a point where, you know, I, I didn't like, the thought patterns that I was having and, and the, the, the finality of some of those patterns. And, and so I, I decided that, you know, I was, I was more afraid of not changing than I was of actually getting to work and making some changes happen. And I think a lot of us get to that point at some point, right? We get to that point in our life where all of a sudden we're, we're, we're more afraid of not changing than we are of changing. And that's, that's where I got to. And, and uh, you know, Went on a 20-month epic journey. Unfortunately, my, my parents were supportive. They, they recognized that for once, I was the one coming to them saying, I want to make some changes. It wasn't them cornering me saying, hey, we've got this dietitian we'd like you to see. Oh, we're thinking about getting you a gym membership or a personal trainer. What, what do you think about that? You know, and, and every time I'm 14 years old, right? I'm like, screw you guys. No, <laughs> you know, like you're saying I'm fat. You're saying I'm not good enough. And, and you know, going through that process and then eventually through the changes, I won't, I won't go into all the details, but I, I just, I got to that point where I was ready to make a change and I just got to work. You know, I went to the library, got books out and my kids are still like, you went to the library, dad? I'm like, yeah, I'm older than Google. <laughs> you know, like, that one, kids. And uh, they still don't quite get it, but it, it's regardless, Rick, like I think about like your podcast, your platform and we just have so much great information at our fingertips today. And, and so I, I feel really good for some people right now, you know, if they're looking to make changes, that education piece is always critical to get started, right? I need to learn what I don't know or become aware of what I don't know and how I can get help. But at the same note, it's also very confusing, right? I mean, there's so much misinformation out there. And uh, it sounded like childhood obesity was kind of a big part of your life and something that was a catalyst for change. You said something though. You said the fear of not changing sometimes becomes greater than the fear of change. Where was that threshold for you? You know, was there a single event or was it just like you woke up one day, you know, but how does that transition happen? Because I've, I've had other guests on and even others coming on too, to where it's like, you know, there's always this fear of, you know, can I do it? Should I do it? You know, what, what, whatever, you know, even with obesity, relationships, what, whatever. But where, where do you cross that threshold to where now the fear, of not changing becomes greater well i was at my dad's man it was uh so again i was 14 we would see my dad every other weekend and we would often go to his place uh, his condo and my brother and i would hang out and we'd eat food and play video games basically for the weekend rent movies that was sort of my dad would would do that provide us that space to do that and his cupboards would always be full of junk you know and uh but I know that he, he loved us and that, that he didn't know any better. You know, he, he just wanted to provide for us and create a space that we like to come to and we would enjoy ourselves. And it wasn't necessarily the healthiest from a health, internal health perspective. 
but it, but it was nice. You know, we had that time with. And, and I remember this Saturday morning quite vividly because normally I, I have a, a shower hack back then where I would get in a shower, turn the heat up really high, and it would get so much, so much condensation and steam in the bathroom that when I would get out of the shower, I'd never have to see myself in the mirror. Because it always be covered, you know, and that was to the extent. I mean, there's only two images of me basically during that five year period that, that I've been able to find because I used to shy away from photos, even, you know. And I always think to myself, like, my goodness, could I imagine living back then with like how smartphones and technology is today? I, you know, I think it would have been way more challenging, you know, for myself and, and that place because of just the way tech is today. And that's why I really feel for the youth of today, you know, as much as they have lots of advantages, there are a lot of disadvantages that. I didn't have to contend with when I was a teen. And I remember getting out of that shower and, and my dad was rushing us because I, I don't remember where we had to go, but he, for some reason he had to get us out of the, out of his place to go somewhere. And so I was being rushed. So I remember getting out of that shower and I'm starting to towel off and I didn't want to look in the mirror, but I could see just off to my side, you know, I could see the silhouette. I could see my profile. And I don't know what happened and I don't, I still don't know why, but I, I turned and I locked eyes and then I started doing the scan, looking down. I remember stopping at my chest and then stopping at my belly. And then I made the scan back up. And by the time I got back up to my face, I, it looked like I had been in the shower again because I was just uncontrollable sobbing. You know, the ugly cries. Like, I mean, there's no, there's no being pretty when you're in that state of emotional distress. And, and uh, I just remember being so full of hate, like really hating myself and my situation that I was in and hating myself for allowing myself to get that way. And this is the first time I was taking full ownership. I, I don't know why. And I don't know how come that morning. Like, I wish I could say, oh, it was these steps. It was, you know, just happened. And I just started thinking, like, I hate who I am. I hate how I look. I don't want to be like this anymore. And it was at that moment when I just really sort of accepted, like, well, how am I going to make these changes? You know, what can I do? I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And I remember coming out of the bathroom, man, and I got dressed real quick. And I remember going out to my dad and saying, Dad, I don't want to be like this anymore. Dad, I want, I want to be healthy. You know, Rick, between you and I, when we start talking about external motivators, I, I, one of the biggest ones for me was I, I actually wanted a girlfriend, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's like, a good motivator, I, bro, dude, <laughs> it was, but, but I, you know, the underlying there is also, I just wanted someone to authentically want me for me. And, and so that was a definite driver, but more importantly, it was just me wanting to make some changes. And I remember asking my dad, like, we, can I get a mountain bike? You know, I, I wanted to do something that would be isolated so I could do it on my own at my own time. But I, I knew how to bike. And I remember being at a younger age, I used to love cycling. So to me, it just seemed like an easy solution, you know, something that was accessible. And, uh, and my dad, he must have seen it in my eyes because we went out and bought a bike that afternoon, you know, and, and I just started riding every day. Like literally, I just get out and I go for a ride. I had an old Sony AM FM. You remember the old oh, yellow yeah, bricks? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. My kids have to pull up photos and show them what I'm talking about here. But, uh, you know, back then like I would borrow my dad's. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I borrowed it and I had a tape. And on one side, I had tragically hit the album up to here. And on the other side, I had Alice in Chains. 
And I would play. And then as soon as the hips started, it would do the auto flip. Remember, that was a big deal back then. Ooh, it would change over. And as soon as it would start playing the second side, I knew it was time to turn around and ride back home. And that's what I did just every day, you know, along with the library, educating myself. But I, I realized that I got really good at focus on the external. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I have a love hate relationship with the fitness industry. I've been in it for 26 years now and, and I still have this love hate relationship with it. But a lot of what I was chasing was very surface because that's what I thought I wanted to change. I was just like, I'm just going to work on this. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to fit. I'm going to, people are going to like me. I'm going to find a girlfriend. Like these are my, you know, I got 14, 15 year old, you know, hormonal boy. I mean, that's what my thoughts were. And, and, uh, 20 months later, I made all these changes and, and I, I started to associate with certain people that weren't good, but I, was, I wasn't used to that attention and being invited to go to parties and, and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, wow, you, really? You want me to come? Okay. And then I get there and man, peer pressure, very real. And, and I succumbed to it. And uh, so I started drinking and I learned that, you know, the shy, withdrawn guy die, uh, this new alter ego, fun guy die could emerge if I'd have a few drinks. And, and that was sort of the start of a whole nother era for myself, which lasted about 15 years of just chronic partying, uh, but not, not crazy, but it just became a habit, a habit that for me to get comfortable around people, I needed to have a few drinks. And that was my belief. And uh, I, I'll, I'll sort of cut it there because it sort of leads into our conversation around vulnerability. Because I'll, I'll tell you right now, I, I struggled with uh, alcohol abuse as well as, uh, as occasional narcotic use and, uh, and some other things I'm not proud of especially being someone that has a lot of strong values around family and, and health and well-being. Uh, I was definitely not living into that uh, a lot of those years. And uh, it created a lot of stress in, in my life. And uh, that was also a big reason why the TEDx talk came to be eventually was I felt I needed to share part of that story, you know? I appreciate you sharing today what you are so far. And I, I'm just tracking with you the whole time. And it was... Uh... I had a similar scenario when I dropped weight. It was literally looking in the mirror. I lost 80 pounds a few years ago. And dude, that, that is yeah. congratulations Thank for you. one. I mean, that is, that's no easy feat. It was about 20 it months, too, like you were saying. You know, it was about oh, the same yeah, amount of time, too. Yeah. Oh, it really man. was. I mean, the first wow. over, geez, it was like over half of it came off in like the first five months or something like that. But then it, but then it became, it was interesting because you know there's so much that happens right away when you make those dynamic shifts, and this could be weight, this could be relationships, this could be anything else, you know. But, but right after, right after that immediate shift, and you see those immediate milestones and, and movements, it's like after that happens, the discipline that's needed to stay with it is such another level beyond that. You know, because 20 months is a long time, man. <laughs> it's a long freaking time to, to balance things, you know, or, or whatever it is. It's, um, I, I, there's so many examples, but it's always that first initial, yeah, okay, I'm going to make the decision to do this. I mean, look at even like New Year's resolutions, right? Which I, I freaking hate those things, you know? But everyone's like, gung-ho, I'm going to do everything I can. And then three weeks hits and then it just tapers off because it's, it's the will for the discipline after that. And a lot of times I've seen it relate because you, you, I hear, I'm hearing you saying that you made the decision and then you did it, right? A lot of people are, are, when they don't stick with it, I see that they don't actually make that decision. The, the real decision that's going to stick with it because when it's a decision, you completely turn your back. Now, 
there's a difference that I hear that I'm hearing with you is that you could, dude, you totally like turned your back and you ran from, from that person that you were, you know, into something that, that reminded you, oh, I don't want to be that guy anymore. The, the partying, the alcohol and everything else. Yes. Well, well, the alcohol actually came as I became healthy and fitter. All yeah. of a sudden I, yeah, I realized that I had a social, well, I was also dealing with social anxiety. I was a very, I, I, I would just get very withdrawn in larger groups. You know, I just, because also I had five years of really avoiding lots of big social settings, you know, at, based on how I felt about myself. So, you know, coming into that and, and you know, puberty is just kicking in. It was, it was sort of late to come to puberty, but that was, the, again, another advantage of starting to exercise and, and, and change my nutrition was I sort of propped that up. So that increase in testosterone also helped me as I was trying to lose weight and build muscle and get healthy. And, and, but I, I realized, you know, like it, these physical changes seemed doable, but like anybody, and I, I think you can probably relate to this, I, I'm going to guess, and, and anybody who's listening or watching this, like when we decide to make these big changes and, and they're often like huge changes, you know, and they're very daunting. I mean, the, the fear of the unknown, the, <laughs> the fear of success. I mean, there's all these different ways that we try to classify our fears. The bottom line is we're just, we're scared of change, you know, and because there's so much unknowns with it. And, and <sighs> when I think back on it, it was about three weeks in and I told you I was mountain biking every day. And, and there's this, I lived in a small rural community outside of Toronto, uh, Eastern Canada. And uh, being that way, it was very rural. There was a lot of farmland, you know, and uh, I remember there's this, it was the concession street. I forget which number it was three or four, but I'd, I'd be cycling down this road about 15 minutes. And, and off in the distance, you, you see this hill. Now I live in, West Canada now in, in Vancouver. I, I, you know, I look out at the Rockies and those are mountains. Okay. <laughs> now I'll tell you though, where I was living in Ontario, that hill, especially as a morbidly obese teenager on his mountain bike coming up, it, it looked like the mountains I see today. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I remember getting a third of the way up that hill, my very first go, that first day I was out for a ride. And just like, oh, you go, go, go. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking back to the, the stories that my parents would tell me as a toddler, you know, a little choo-choo, you know, just, just keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Rocky running up the steps. Yes. Yes. I had to pull a reference. So, you talk about cassette oh, tapes and Alice in dude, Chains, man. I'll pull out Rocky, okay? <laughs> I love Rocky. I still watch it today uh, at least once a year, you know. And uh, so here I am a third of the way up and it just, it was like everything just stopped and froze i remember getting to a point and i'm like cranking down on, on on the pedal and open the move forward and i just like stopped and then uh, fell off right and uh in me was this deep desire my, my my mindset was like you know what dude what are you doing like you've already failed you can't even make it up this hill like might as well just turn around and go back and that, that was my thought pattern, right? Like that was really easy. That was the path of least resistance would be to get back on my bike, coast down that third of the hill and just go home. But I was like, no, I started thinking about, you know, if I don't do this now, it's not going to get any easier. You know, like life is not going to get easier than it is right now. And yeah, I say it's pretty hard, but I know it's only going to get harder if I'm not making these changes. And so I walked the bike up to the top of it. The, and then I continued on my way, came back the next day, the next day. The next day, and I kept falling off, you know, but I was inching a little bit further and further. Three weeks in, 
I remember coming to that hill. We do this. <laughs> and I'm just like, go, go, go. And I remember just not even looking up. I just looked down, had the music cranking and just like, go, go, go. And next thing you know, it didn't feel like I was climbing anymore. And in fact, I was on top of the hill and starting to coast. And three weeks in, I had gone from not being able to go up this hill to now being on top of the hill. And I will tell you that win instilled in me the confidence I needed to, to just continue doing what I was doing. I, I needed a win. You know, I needed to show progress, but actually not only show it, but feel it. And I'll tell you, I was the happiest and most proud person I think I've ever been in my entire life was the first day I ascended that hill on my bike. And, and I think a lot of us, when we're encountering change, you know, we, we want the win. We do. And we deserve the win. To be quite honest, people deserve to win. We do. We do. <laughs> and, and, and so when we commit to change and we experience that first win, it's important to take note that I did this. I did this. You know, I experienced this. This happened because of the choices I've been making every day leading up to this moment. And, and that's what I needed to really. And, and, and if, that, if I didn't have that experience, I, I, I can honestly say I don't think we'd be talking today. Yeah. Yeah. So, did your dad how buy you the mountain How bike? did you experience wind? <laughs> well, I'm just curious with you. Did you lose 80 pounds? What was your first Dude, I wind went. that you <laughs> I, uh, my, my thing was never really like a portion control thing, you know, and when, when it came to, to dropping weight, because I, I, I still look back and it's like a, right now I eat somewhere between, you know, 2,500 to 3,000 calories a day, which is a lot, but that's because I lift. You know, I dropped the 80 and put on 20 just completely back in muscle and my jeans are still 33s. You know, so I'm no, I know I'm cool, but in order to maintain that, I have to like this morning, dude, I had, I, I mean, I love protein pancakes. Oh my gosh. You know, they're, they're amazing, you know? And it's like, how can somebody eat that many carbs and still say fit? Well, it's because I actually put the work in to stay fit. You know, there's a, there's another component to it, but the wins I had, cause my big thing way back then was sweets. You know, so you know how you were talking about the Costco muffins right? My thing was the Costco chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> oh, even it. <laughs> it was every night because I mean, and they, dude, they were good. And still chocolate chip cookies are my thing. You know, that's what, what I dive into. And I would have, cause I mean, Costco, like you were talking about the muffins, right? Dude, there's nothing small at Costco. <laughs> that's not, no, there isn't. It's supersized everything, right? right yeah. On. Yeah. So I'd have three of those cookies with a big glass of milk before bed every night. And that was just, just my gig, you know, but that was also after, you know, you were talking about going and playing video games at your dad's, you know, that mine was in my, I put on most of my weight in my twenties and that was a lot of just eating out, you know, just quick stuff and not like you said, a lot of high calories, but not a lot of nutrition. You know, you can only have Taco Bell and Chinese food so many times. That's about where yeah, mine was, yeah. you know. So it was a shift in what I was taking in is really what provided the biggest change for me. But those wins, you know, so I, I said, and you were talking about, you know, like three days and three weeks. It must be like a rule of threes. I don't know. Yeah, I it's remember, funny how that pops up. Huh? It is. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember yeah. the third day, man, when I, when I made the decision, you know, and I, I made the decision to start on April 1st, which was April Fool's Day, you know, just a, it was a conscious thing. I'm like, whatever, I'm no fool. You know, this is, this is for real. It doesn't have to be January 1st. I'm going to start on April 1st, you know, and I, d I didn't even go out ahead of time either. 
And this is a side of the story that I haven't told about the wins, but I didn't even go out and like have my last meal, you know, <laughs> like, like I see a lot of people doing that are going on the diet because it doesn't matter, right? It, it's, it, that's why do you need to engorge yourself just to say, okay, I'm going to enjoy the garbage that I've been doing for the past 20 years, you know, one more time. Because when you make the real decision, you know, and this, this is still, again, everything, it applies to anything. When you make the real decision to cut out the crap, you don't need to have the crap even one more time before you get rid of it. That, that doesn't matter. You don't need to have that last drink. You don't need to have that last meal before you go on a diet. You don't need to have that, that last time in bed with somebody that's not a good relationship for you to move on. You know, when you make the decision, it's, that's it. So I said 30 days for me, you know what, 30 days, and then I'm going to reward myself and I'm going to go to a Brazilian steakhouse. And even then oh, I was still yes. thinking, dude, I'm like, because <laughs> I'm, I'm carnivore. Hello. Right. I'm going to go there, but uh, you know, I'm still thinking, Hey, that way I'm still like contemplating it in strategy. I'm like, I don't have to have any carbs there. <laughs> if I go there. You know? So even then I'm like, you know, I'm going to eat tons and tons of steak. But for that moment, I didn't care about the calorie content that night after the 30 days. But I remember after that third day, man, it was, that was the roughest day was day number three. You know, it was a, like, what am yeah. I doing? Am I doing withdrawal, this? Man. It was, withdrawal. that's exactly what it was. <laughs> oh, sugar withdrawal is real. Yeah, oh right on. And I was trying to <sighs> eliminate carbs and I found out that I'm actually, my body type needs more of a balance, you know, especially now because I'm lifting. So the third day I'm like, have some roasted potatoes. That's all I'm gonna with my with my chicken. I remember it was chicken on my third day, and I went into an Applebee's, right? And, and yeah, because I, I was thinking, I was like, I'm I'm out. I don't remember if I was traveling or not, but it's like I'm gonna go there because I think I can order just some chicken or something. I found this nice plate of whatever that was on their like healthy menu, you know, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just gonna eat the greens, the vegetables, and the meats. But then I'm staring at these potatoes and I feel like I'm like death, you know, from three days of having next to no carbs. And then I just started eating like two bites of the potatoes. I'm like, oh, this is so much better. This is great. And it, it wasn't. So then I, I learned a more balanced approach. But dude, the, the win was after that 30 days. It's like I made it 30 days. And to me, I knew that I would make it 30 days. But that was so I was thinking of it as if that day at the Brazilian steakhouse was already happening. <laughs> yes, it, it, it wasn't like a food that. thing. Yeah. It was just like I'm going to celebrate, just like you would go out for a good meal to celebrate a a great business venture or something like that. I was celebrating my discipline. You know, I wasn't celebrating the weight that I lost. I wasn't celebrating how I looked. I was celebrating my discipline. That was the win for mm -hmm. me. Yes, that's oh man, I uh, I admire that so much, right, Rick. I mean, that's just. Ah, but just to have the know with all as well, just to be aware of those internal shifts, right? Like, like I think it, it, I mean, now when I encounter change, it, it's funny because it's, it's like any other skill. Uh, you, you, I believe change can be a skill. I know we often feel like we're a victim of change and sometimes we don't invite it into our lives. And I, I get that. I do get that. And, but I still think that we can be very, very proactive in certain respects when it comes to change in our own lives. Like we can almost like we get ahead of it or we're the ones fostering it along you know and, and especially when we feel like we're we're in alignment with the changes uh, from a longer term or a value perspective because again it's just how we value things right and and 
I know for a lot of times I valued food. I would value alcohol. I would value other things outside of myself more than the things that I had within me, but more importantly, some of the relationships that I had. And it wasn't until I became very, very aware of that, that finally I was in a place where I could start to change it, <laughs> you know, like, like actually sit down and say, well, is this decision going to take me closer or further away from where I ultimately want to be or who I want to be? And uh, it sounds like you, you had that deep connection as well. And I think anybody who's gone through significant change has, has this type of an experience, or at least pretty close to it, you know? And, and the, the cool thing is, is that it's always possible. You know, I think, I think it was Buddha, right? I think like 25, 2,600 years ago, he says, you know, there's only one thing that we know for absolute certainty. Is that nothing stays the same, <laughs> you know, pretty wise dude, you know, and, and now science is off uh, has, has proven this, uh, uh, you know, but 150 years ago, but uh, it, it's <laughs> interesting it needed to be to proven. Know. Yeah. Well, why not? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I love that about science, right? They'd like to quantify everything. And uh, um, yeah. So, so I think it's just changes. It, it doesn't always have to be something that we're so afraid of. And, and, and I think we have to have that deep personal experience or journey where we feel like, okay, I was actually involved in the change and look at what I was able to create as a result. And, and I think that in itself, ah, just it's evolution, right? On, on a very personal level. Yeah. So well, that's a key uh, part of yeah. it too, that you talk that active involvement in you know, it's the responsibility and like my win, like I said, I was celebrating my discipline, meaning my active involvement is what I was celebrating those 30 days later. And the, the fear of the change, you know, starts to diminish, I believe, once you start to take that active involvement in it, because then it's, it's the responsibility that you're not abdicating anymore. And how you were saying, sometimes we don't invite the change into our lives, you know, and Sometimes that's probably true, you know? A lot of the times I feel that we could be inviting the change into our lives because we refuse to make the change on our own. So true, though. Like, yes. Oh, man. It, like, I just, yeah, I think back. Well, and then well, it's not also, the change that we want. Yeah. No, it, it very because often. Because we didn't decide for ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's spot on. And uh, yeah, change is interesting. You know, just the whole term. I think it often has a negative connotation. I mean, if you think about the year that we just had, right? Like a lot of changes, and a lot of us feel that we are thrust into that position. We didn't choose it, right? And and I know for me, the first couple months of the pandemic was really hard. It just really was challenging, you know, and because I was so focused on all the things I couldn't do anymore, rather than saying, "Well, what can I do?" <laughs> you know, like what? Okay. Those are off the plate right now. I can't go to the gym and yeah, yeah. My, my Toastmasters groups, they don't meet anymore right now. They've gone to zoom and they, oh, okay. There's all these things I can't do right now, but what, what can I, do? you know? And when I started to embrace the idea of well, what can I do rather than focusing on all things that I can, again, it, it became just, I felt, I felt more engaged with my own life to be quite frank. Like, it was like, okay, I can do these things. I'll just, do that. And, and especially from a mental health perspective, it was nice to, to just let go of all the things that was outside of my control. Um, but I, I still occasionally catch myself getting caught up in that trap, right? And, and I think, well, I don't know if do, you can relate yeah. to that, but I mean, we all yeah. get there, I think at some point, right? How do you make, I'm curious on this, how do you make your health and your happiness top priorities when you've got so many other obligations going on? Family, business, everything else. Yeah. It, well, thanks for asking that question. I, I mean, it's, it, there's that constant 
question is like, who am I becoming, you know, and, and who am I actively? <laughs> I think it, there's sort of that underlying question, and you know, this is getting probably way out there a little bit too much, but it, you know, like what's the meaning of life, right? Like, I mean, it's one of those very interesting questions that I think we all think about every once in a while, or maybe we think about it more than we care to admit, but you know, what is our purpose? You know, what is that meaning? And, and uh, I remember reading, oh gosh, um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Uh, wonderful book. It was written back uh, post uh, Second World War. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, the first half of the book is very, uh, very dark. You know, he's recounting his experience in concentration camps. Uh, and as a psychologist, though, he had a very interesting perspective because he was able to look internally what was going on, but also observationally at what was happening in the camps. And, and this became this work, his body of work, which is called logotherapy, which is th this idea that, you know, if you can align with purpose, we can sustain and, and ultimately create change very positively, you know, this idea. And, but in it, he, he mentions that, you know, the, the, the irony of that question is even just in asking it, you can answer it for yourself because we, we all give our own lives meaning, you know, and it's that, that internal idea of, of trying to understand that meaning, right? Like if that's making sense, because I, I think a lot of us, we try to externalize what's the purpose, what's the meaning, but, but rather than just reflecting, well, I'm going to give my life whatever meaning I want to give it. And that's, that's the answer. So it, it is a very subjective question. And yet we're looking to externalize it. And because that's what I ultimately realized all these times and these big changes, I've always been chasing something else <laughs> rather than just saying, what do I want? And, and, and actually giving myself the space to answer that. Like, you know, and I know that sounds like a really big question. Like, I mean, how often do we actually get asked and, and authentically asked, you know, with the intention that we actually, this isn't a rhetorical question. It's like, hey, what do you want for your life? It's a daunting question, isn't it? I mean, it's like, can't you just ask me what I want on my pizza tonight or what I want to watch on Netflix? I, I can figure that out in 10 or 15 minutes. But, you know, to figure out what I want with my life, oh, man, that is a big question. It's, and it's daunting. And sometimes just even asking that question, I know for myself, because I couldn't come to a grasp with an answer. And it, it would make me feel very disconnected, very lost. And that's where those habits would come into play. So habits that weren't serving me, weren't in alignment with some of my values. Find myself eating certain things or not consistent with my workouts. Not checking in with family like I used to. You know, it's because values are so important. They are, you know? exactly. Dude, I'm going to read this to you because this is so in line. It's, I love how this happens. I posted something to my story this morning. Oh, cool, Instagram, cool. And it was, uh, eliminate what is distracting you from being your true self. It'll hurt. You'll heal. You'll lose people. You'll gain the right people. It's time. Choose you. Ah, oh, isn't that funny? You posted that this morning. Just this morning, it, yeah. It, <laughs> wow. It, oh a, man, we're so in sync. Those are it's hashtag awesome. Rick thoughts, and I put them on there. I mean, on the just things that come into my head, and it's just it's along these lines, you know. And as you're talking, I'm like, what what change are you avoiding? You know, whoever's listening, or more so. It's not even so much that because that even comes after you saying, what do I really want? You know, what do I really want for me? You know, could it do it like that mirror moment that you had, you know, or, or the, you know, finally figuring out, Hey, this is my purpose. This is what I want to go after in life. And it has nothing to do with anybody else besides me. Now, what do I need to do to make those changes to eliminate the distractions from my true self?
ah, like, eh, yes. And then creating the actual time to put some thought to it, to explore it. It's not like we have to figure out the answer right away, but just working through the process of discovering the answer rather than inventing something, you know? And I think Simon Sinek sort of riffed on that in his talk, right? He's like, you know, that figuring out our why is an act of discovery, not invention. And, and I think this is the same thing that they, when, you know, the why purpose, you can call it whatever you want, your meaning. At the end of the day, it's not something to rush, but it is something to, to give time to. And, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking there, um, have you heard of Bronnie Ware? Do you recognize that? So Bronnie Ware, and those that are, you know, uh, here listening or watching, uh, Bronnie Ware is a really interesting lady. She, she's based out of Australia. And she did actually an amazing TED Talk uh, a number of years ago, and it was called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And, you know, she has a wonderful bedside manner. You know, she, she was a carried, uh, really, I mean, she was someone that would be around people towards that end of life. You know, it's sort of that last journey and it doesn't matter what, how we look at it, but it's, it's something that we got to travel on our own, right? And uh, here she was recognizing these people at different stages, uh, different ages, different demographics, like backgrounds, everything. And, but, but yet they're all coming to this finality and they're, they're in the facility where she worked and she took it upon herself to, to actually ask questions, get to know them, comfort them, right? And what she found was that everybody that she had these conversations, especially when she would ask the question, is there anything you regret not doing in your life? There was five recurring regrets that almost everybody had at least one, if not all of these. And the one that sticks out based on what you just shared with me was this idea. I wish I'd allowed myself to live the life I wanted to live, not the life I believed others expected of me. You know, so that was just one of them. And there's a couple other ones, you know, the the other four are just as poignant, but, but that one, it's a big deal. I mean, I I think back to even me going to university, I went there because I wanted, I thought it would make my dad proud. Yeah, I, it wasn't. It wasn't in, for I wasn't you. taking a program yeah. that I wanted to do. It wasn't yeah. for me yeah. at all. I figured that it comes well. My third year, I, I completely switched, you know, into the arts from the sciences, and uh, you know, was a lot happier for it. But but it took me a few years to start figuring that out, rather than realizing I, a lot of the decisions and actions I take is based on what I believe other people want of me, not what I want. And Gosh, it, it, we see these recurring. So it, it's really interesting because when you start to look at that and some of the works, like you can't help but look and be like, oh man, well, I don't want to be on my deathbed and have these regrets. So what can I start doing now to ensure that when it comes time and I am time to move on and go into that next journey, I can honestly look back and say, you know what? I lived a great life and I lived the life I wanted to live. You know, I. So that's something that you asked me earlier. And sorry, this is a big roundabout way of answering your question. What sort of keeps me focused and, and it keep me in alignment with some of the things that matter most to me in life, especially like my health, my well-being, my family commitments, you know, my, my businesses. Like, it's that. It, it's, I, I'm living the life I want to be living. And if that's what I want to be doing, I have to look at the actions that support that best. And you know, so that's that's how a lot of my decisions day to day and how I plan my weeks out and months out and years out. If you, you know, I don't plan that far ahead, but if I did, <laughs> <Thank> God, <laughs> it's, it's, it's still in alignment yeah, with those values. For sure. That is yeah. the big thing. Every time I'm out of alignment with values, bad stuff happens. And what I mean by bad stuff is just stuff that's not serving, you know, at all. So, yeah. Anyways, 
That's sort of where I was going with that. I love it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good place, man. Like that. That's it. It's okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> Forrest Manuel, everybody. There we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Run oh, that All was right. a lovely that's dad a... joke. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, I totally, man. I know, right? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Di, my uh, man, thank you for being on. You know, there, there's so much more that we can dive into also. You know, I'd love to... I'd love to have you back at some point in time too, just to talk about relationship wise and, and all that. Today we just talked about effective change. I feel, but let's have you back on. Is that cool? I appreciate you. I would love that. It would be great. I I, I enjoy jiving with you, man. It's uh, Rick. This is uh, your energy is awesome. Uh, and and, uh, and I got to commend Brian too. You know, it started. I talked to him first, and he's a great dude too. I just I can tell you guys love what you do, and I think, man, if everybody can love what they're doing, the world will be a very Truth, you know. Right <laughs> so, uh, I, you. I appreciate meeting you guys. Yeah, you know? same so here, it's, my man. It's great. Yeah. Cool, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Go find Di, <laughs> DiManuel.com. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> on Instagram, DiManuel at DiManuel M-A-N-U-E-L D-A-I. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks dude. Thank you. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me. 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.